Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Glad to have you with us. I'm Cassidy, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-hostess. Hey! This week, we are returning to the wonderful world of Jane Austen. Yes! Um, we recently rewatched the 2007, I think it's the ITV um, production of Mansfield Park with mm-hmm. um, Billy, Piper. Billy Piper and Blake Ritson. And yep. so um, I think we're huge fans of the book, and I think I can speak for both of us. <laughs> Yep. Hopefully. No, it's sweet. it's a it's simple but sweet. It, that's all I can yeah. say about that. Yeah, it really is. So we had a lot of fun watching it. So we thought we would share our thoughts as we sort of do mm-hmm. on on our podcast. But um, yeah, this is a fairly old movie. It came out in two thousand seven. So mm-hmm. it's been it's actually closer to the twenty year anniversary as of our recording this. But we're still mm-hmm. a little bit of a ways from that. <laughs> But it's an old movie. Um, it's actually a fairly short movie, but I think despite how many iterations of the book there are or how many versions of the book there are in terms of like movies and TV, I think this is one that, or at least the one that I enjoyed the most because I feel like somehow I managed to condense the book into an hour and a half and not lose anything and not change anything. I agree, yeah. And also, um, I think I'm a little bit biased because it was the first version I saw. <laughs> Aww. so it's like when I picture the characters on screen that's kind of like I picture them as they are in the 2007 ITV version but I believe there is a BBC version which came out I want to say in 1999 yep um, there is there's a much older version from I want to say 83 I, um, in the 80s so um, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that one is really it's funny in the sense the actress who plays Lady Bertram um, and I'm, I don't mean any disrespect, but she had the most annoying, like, like the way she spoke. I don't know if she did a bit for the character or if that's just how her voice was. And I apologize if that, if the, if it is the latter, but like, it sounded like she, you know, when people, there was like that trend or like that meme or whatever, where people would like, like breathe in helium and then talk. Oh my like, God. All high pitched. That's literally what she sounded like the whole time or oh like, God. you know. She sounded like when people do parodies of like, mm-hmm. you know, stoners or like whatever from like the 60s. Um, oh, she God. sounded kind of like that. And I was like, I hope this is just a bit. And it's not how she really sounds because that would be unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, so I, like, whoever you just... are, we don't mean any disrespect. I know. <laughs> I mean, like the cast of that was fine. I just think that there were some things i think part of it being that it was set or like it was made in the 80s mm-hmm. it like the i guess cinematography is not quite as sharp as it is now mm-hmm. um even the 2007 one kind of looks a little outdated now because technology is constantly improving and oh like, yeah for sure dude tv making is always evolving and changing mm-hmm. and um getting better so but i think the older the, the content is sometimes the more outdated it can look mm-hmm. but um for me anyway the the 2007 one was it was a very good um adaptation of the book and it to my recollection because it's been a bit since I've read the book but um it kept a lot of like the um I guess like I don't don't know quite how to describe it like um like the soul of the of the book if that makes any sense in and no I know what you mean lost or compromised um, to kind of condense everything into roughly a 90 minute movie 
No, that's true. Especially if it's less than two hours, it's really difficult to get in everything that you want to um, in uh, in that book, uh, in a movie, sorry. Because like movies, I mean, books always have the advantage and I read this somewhere uh, that books always have the advantage of leaving everything to the reader's imagination. So it it always gives you more room and then when you see a movie, it's like set. Um, <laughs> so because of that, uh, it makes it difficult. It, it kind of shifts your perspective when you do a movie and try to translate a book to a movie because some people already have a set image of what these characters would look and feel like to them. So that's always a difficult task. Um, but in any case, you're absolutely right that this movie does a good job of condensing everything and putting it in a 90 minute duration. But let's um, I feel let's talk about how it starts, because little Fanny, unfortunately, is sent off to live with her aunt and uncle because her mother cannot afford to keep her. And that's kind of a sad situation to begin with. Let's talk about that and how it shapes her personality as she grows up with her cousins. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it's always kind of interesting to, especially when you read stuff kind of set in and around the Regency era. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have like actual statistics, but just from like different books and stuff I've read, it seems to be something that's like kind of common in that, you know, unfortunately... Huh these families or there would be families who had you know a lot of kids and then unfortunately given their economic situation or whatever they couldn't always look after all of them so then like some kids were just like passed off to wealthier relatives um or in some cases I guess the kids just had to grow up very quickly and then start earning as soon as they could to support yeah, the family. family and mm -hmm. um it, I always found it really interesting because Fanny's mother has two sisters who are pretty well off. Exactly. And one is Lady Bertram, who's her aunt, who she goes to live with. And then her other aunt, um, Mrs. Norris, who I think in the books, if I remember correctly, she married a... Um, she married a, a, a clergyman or somebody mm -hmm. who like worked in in a parish and he mm -hmm. passed away. And so she comes to live with Lady Bertram yeah. and her brother-in-law. Lord Bertram and, and his family and um, she kind of in a weird way takes on the role of like the evil stepmother from Cinderella and yeah. she's just like being rude and condescending to Fanny and at every um, chance I, she gets yeah pretty much yeah I mean I she's one of those characters I think that's very easy to hate oh god like, you'd yes. love to hate her well we'll talk about and, it um, we'll talk all about it for sure. Yeah, kudos to the actress because literally from the, at least in, in the 2007 adaptation, the, mm -hmm. from the moment she comes on screen to the moment she leaves, it's like every scene she's in, it's like, oh my god, this lady is getting on my nerves. I cannot stand her. She's being so yeah. rude, and it's um, she really stop does a job of kind of basically, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she does a good job of making Mrs. Norris an unlikable character because yes, think, like she really is that way in the books too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it like the opening bit where Fanny is sent to live with her wealthier relatives. It's always like kind of interesting to like imagine what that must be like because on the one hand, most of the time you're assuming if, if a child is going from you know whatever environment they were born and brought up into a wealthier environment, chances are they're most likely happy. Have, 
Well, yeah, or like they'd have at least at the bare minimum, like better, I guess, opportunities or whatever you want to call it, or they just be in a No, I, yeah, I didn't word that right, but yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I, I know what you mean. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're not wrong either. I think it, like on the surface, or I guess at first glance, you would think, that like, oh, yeah, of course, like anybody would be happy to be going from a situation of like, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. It's a very nuanced situation. But I love Penny's reaction, how she's just so... I think you can call her overwhelmed in that moment, (laughs) basically. And no, that's, I think, fair to say. It's, I mean, she, like, I don't know. I can't remember if, like, the books ever properly describe Mm -hmm. what her house was like. But it's implied that it's, you know, it's smaller. (laughs) And there's a lot more of, of... you know, uh, of her siblings, then um, obviously I think we meet or, or really like get yeah. to know. But um, when she arrives at Mansfield Park, you know, it's it's a big estate compared to what she's lived in. Yep. And yep. her aunt and uncle, I'm sure, obviously haven't visited her very much. Um, or if they have, it probably, I'm assuming, hasn't been for very long. Mm-hmm. And she's also like 10 when she's sent to live with them. So 10 is still like a really young age. To, like, it is, it is. Kind of be given a one-way ticket to, you know, stay with relatives. And, and like, I think she's when she leaves i don't know if she's aware but by the time she gets to mansfield park and is like formally introduced to her cousins and you know her aunt and uncle mm-hmm. um she's told like she's meant to be a companion to to lady bertram and kind of like yep look after her and help her and things like that so mm-hmm. at 10 years old i'm sure that's incredibly overwhelming and it is probably like in a way probably kind of turns her world upside down because she's 10 when that happens and Mm -hmm. it's like for a 10 year old to like leave behind their family and then take this really long journey and again it's like for her it's a one-way ticket like she's not going back because yeah she has no family can't afford it and um bertram's probably like if they if she wanted to go back they'd have to do on their dime which i don't know realistically if they would but i think in the and I could be wrong because it has been a minute since I've read them, but I think in the book there is um, a bit where she actually does go back, and I could be remembering incorrectly. No, I... confusing it with like another Jane Austen book, but um, like I vaguely remember something about her maybe going back and like seeing her family, and it may have even been in the 1999 version mm-hmm. of the movie. I think I think I that might, I think you might be right about that because but, I vaguely yeah, I mean... remember watching that version and there being a bit about her going back but that's okay go ahead yeah i mean either way i think at 10 for her to just kind of be uprooted and like forced to go live with wealthier relations um may not have been as glamorous as it sounded and like yeah she's now in like a new environment and it's obviously i think probably better for her in the sense i think it's implied that like where she lived obviously it was like very crowded and like conditions were not the greatest and all of that and now she's in like this sprawling estate with like rolling hills and like big fancy rooms and just like a lot of good things but it's not everything is not what it seems you might want to say yeah (laughs) yeah um and that's how it begins uh and then you basically 
let's talk about the siblings here. Let's talk about her cousins. There's Tom, there's Edmund, there's Julia, and there's Mariah, right? Julia is <laughs> the youngest, I believe, of yes. all of them, right? Uh, Tom is the oldest, um, and Edmund is the second born. And Edmund and Fanny form a close bond, you can say. As <laughs> is the case with many Jane Austen books, this is still a case of will they, won't they, pretty much. Okay, but <laughs> leave it, leave, leave, leave She's just good at writing, writing those things. That's all we can say about that. So let's talk all about the siblings for now. Yeah, I mean, the siblings, um, I, I will say, I feel like the one kind of drawback of this movie, mm -hmm. um, or, or maybe even, like, the the book for me personally is that I felt like Mariah was kind of like a Lydia 2.0 for me. Because right? I really saw Pride and Prejudice first. Oh and my god, I, I can understand Park. why. We'll, we'll and, talk about um, it, but yes. yes yeah, yes, yes. I mean, they're all like memorable and kind of distinct enough in their own way that it, it does feel pretty different from Pride and Prejudice and not only because you know the Bertrams have two boys mm -hmm. and two girls whereas the Bennets they like they were all sisters mm -hmm. they had no brothers mm -hmm. um but there were some like similarities especially with characters like Mariah and Lydia who end up having very similar oh and also Mr. Crawford and yeah this and like mr wickham and and i feel yeah. like even in julia and kitty to a certain extent kind of being like the sister that's somehow like can never escape her sister's her other sister's shadow mm -hmm. like that sort of thing um so yeah there, there were a lot of similarities but again I, I for me anyway the characters felt distinct enough and i and i do feel like the 2007 version at least despite being roughly 90 minutes give or take um it managed to kind of give them each like distinct personalities and make them stand out and, and be different and mm -hmm. not kind of blend together and or get lost in the background but yeah um i think julia in particular at least is kind of a combination of like mary and kitty from pride and prejudice yes because her story is kind of like Mary's in that it doesn't really go anywhere. Like, at least in the in the movie, she doesn't in this particular version anyway. She doesn't really have much to do other than no. just kind of be there. Yeah. Um, but she is kind of also like Kitty in the sense that uh, Mariah is, is generally considered like the older. I mean, she's the older sister, but she's generally considered older prettier and prettier. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, more Julia's fun, more eligible kind of thing, which is a weird thing yeah. to say, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, Julia's probably, I'm sure, not terribly excited about being in her, her sister's shadow, but, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's also something that, like, Kitty probably, um, sort of expresses in Pride and Prejudice. Like, mm -hmm. she, she never outright says, like, I can't stand that everybody's, like, doing this and that about Lydia or like causing such a fuss but um there there are certain instances where it like what she says it can be implied that she's not super thrilled at being in Lydia's shadow yeah. so I feel like in certain respects um it, Julia was kind of like a hybrid of both Mary and Kitty mm -hmm. uh and and in this case Mariah kind of follows more of like Lydia's path 
Um, but I mean, yeah, the, the siblings were all like very interesting because Tom is like, he's he's the weird um, sort of like eligible bachelor in the sense he's the son of like a baronet. And you would think that he would be into like women and like finding a wife and kind of, you know, flaunting his, his status, influence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he's like for some reason he's just into he's like, into gambling theater. And yeah, gambling, drinking, and pro- probably theater. Yeah, I that that was a weird one because I could never get a read on whether or not he was actually genuinely into theater or it was like just or a, maybe like it was just a ruse. To, yeah, I don't know. You're right. But yeah, and it's just like also like the the contrast between Tom and Edmund. Like Tom is somebody who, again, I feel like probably should have been trying to find or like it seems like he would be the type of person to just kind of be a ladies man and be like, hey, I'm I'm rich. I'm a son of there. Cool. I got a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But instead he spent a lot of time like just like gambling and drinking and like betting on on horse racing and stuff like that and then Edmund um decided to be a clergyman or a pastor or something mm-hmm. and he's like well, I think once he's ordained he's pretty it, chill. like yeah yeah all that too he's, he's like chill but he's also like he's not gonna be making a lot of money he's gonna be making like peanuts compared to what he either he already has or what Tom is going to get when he like becomes Lord Bertram um but yeah. he's like content with it so um I thought that yeah, was really interesting. That's a major then, difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, when we meet, meet Mariah, I think the cool thing about this is that unlike Pride and Prejudice, where it's like all the sisters looking for, for matches in, in different ways, Mariah's already engaged uh, to a Mr. Rushworth, who is kind of like a... <laughs> Kind of like Collins, right? There's a lot of like comparisons that can be made. Okay, Pride this and is our fault for having read Pride and Prejudice first, guys. That's on <laughs> us. Okay. I didn't yeah. do it otherwise. I mean, I, I I feel like there there are a lot of similarities, and the story essentially, if you like, really boil it down and make it like super simplistic, it is kind of the same, but sort it's also of. not. And I think mm-hmm. that's there's like. I don't know. I think Austin just there's something about the way she's able to like craft stories where it's even it, it is pretty simple. At the end of the like day, it really is just like a guy trying to get with a girl or vice versa, and it, it's there's just something. It's still a will they the won't they story, pretty much. Yeah, you know? it, it is. But again, it's just I think there's something about the way she's like written it and crafted it and like mm-hmm. you know kind of put the story out into the world that just makes it. Um, so good and so entertaining and has allowed it to like endure for this long because like we're still watching different versions like i mean we did the the 2022 adaptation of persuasion like that's based ah! on Austin, and like, we talked about that in an oh episode, god so um there's still like an interest in like a love for her works no matter uh, how think... realistic they can be and we've talked about this um we've talked about this and that's mainly because austin is really good at writing by human nature in general and we'll expand (laughs) on that because and we've discussed this every time we've looked at austin's work uh and it's it's a big reason uh for for us to love her work because I think she's always been really good at analyzing human behavior and how people in that time period would react to certain situations. 
which I find really interesting um, that she had a good read on people and those characters in general, I feel like. What do you think? I think that's totally accurate. And I mean, again, there's just, when you look at her stories, they are, if you, again, really kind of boil them down, make them very simple and like easy to understand for like younger audiences or whatever it is a fairly simplistic plot and it's not quite as like intricate maybe as um certain works that we're accustomed to now but I think Mm -hmm. there is still like a certain charm about it and there's a certain humor and like writing very witty and I I think for the most part the more recent adaptations have managed to do a good job (laughs) of kind of capturing that yes um, unfortunately not all of them because i know you're not fans of persuasion oh no or not. The, the netflix version but i think like the there, there's something kind of like timeless about the books and then even like these movies like the 1995 bbc version of pride and prejudice like that's chef's kiss chef's yeah kiss. like that's i watch that's that, that is. all the time even this movie like i think um, it may not be like the greatest adaptation, but for me, it's always kind of special because it's like the first one I saw. And mm-hmm. um, I read Mansfield Park when I was fairly young and I didn't really understand. <laughs> like, I, not that I didn't understand, but I feel like there was like certain things that were kind of lost on me. Both when I read Pride and Prejudice and Mansfield Park for the first time, I was probably in like middle school or something. And I just Baby! picked it up. Anyway, and, yeah, sorry. It's like, it's not that it's super difficult but you know when when like that's your first kind of introduction to you know classics yeah <laughs> especially when you know your school curriculum kind of makes you read um just like fiction and stuff like that so it took them getting used to so I know like the first time I read it there were things that like I wasn't super um like I, there's things I just didn't understand quite mm-hmm. as well as I do now and so when I watched the movies you know much much later <laughs> um it there was like things I remember seeing and I was like oh so that's what that was and like I obviously the first time I read like stuff just like went over my head <laughs> but um I don't know again like I said there's something like very timeless about her books and then even the majority of the adaptations especially I think the ones we've covered on this podcast yeah. that like mm-hmm. it's they're they're just I don't know there's just a, like a nice read there's a magic like, to them I that's yeah. all I can say it, it's yeah. really hard to describe, but I think that's that's a really good way to put it. Like, there's just some yeah. something indescribable, but, like, magical and charming about it that, like, makes us keep coming back to it and yes. keep revisiting it. Yep. Absolutely. But, so now let's talk about how they're all grown up and how Mariah's engaged and Julia's trying to find herself a match and how... Uh, her aunts have tried to keep Fanny in line, which is a weird thing to do, especially for uh, the especially for I can't, I keep forgetting the other aunt's name. I'm sorry. Norris. Norris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> especially for Mrs. Norris because she doesn't even she's, she doesn't own the house. She doesn't own Mansfield Park to boss anyone around, so I don't know why I don't know why her sister lets her do it, which is weird. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, at least with that, I feel like Lady Bertram is kind of like a very meek woman in the sense that at least like, especially in this version, she's like, yeah, in the sense like, you know, she's not very, um, she doesn't have like a commanding presence. Not that Mrs. No. Norris really does either, but she's, you know, she's kind of like, 
she's the lady of the house, but like, you know, she defers to her husband for everything. She takes his advice on everything. Mm-hmm. And Norris can kind of, because she and Lady Bertram are sisters, um, can kind of like wheedle her way into like getting what she wants or like, you know, providing her opinion and like exerting her influence. And the really interesting thing I thought was like, it could have been very easy i think for lord and lady bertram to be like oh fanny's the poor relation you know we can make her the servant girl just kind of make her like a cinderella but even though she is in some respects kind of like that they are still like they're not entirely mistreating her the way like cinderella is mistreated i think yeah that's true uh, mrs norris's thing especially in the movie like she makes a lot of like really snide snippy comments Um, there's one scene that i absolutely love where she's like saying something to fanny and then fanny has like the most perfect comeback and we'll talk about that in a bit but oh yeah i know exactly which scene that you're talking about <laughs> I, I know exactly which scene you're talking about uh, but go on. I, yeah I, I like that to me was always like a really funny thing but like literally like you said aunt norris or mrs norris doesn't own the house but she's busy learning about like it's a personal insult to her that fanny was taken in even though i'm sure she had no say in the matter Mm -hmm. and even otherwise i just never understood like this is your like i think lady bertram mrs norris and then mrs price were like siblings like they're all sisters yeah yeah it's like this is your niece and you're treating her like dirt her like she's worthless and it just like that part just kind of puzzled me because i was like why like that's your own sister's kid wouldn't you at least like show some sort of like i don't know like pride or whatever about you know being able to like help your sister or or, like i I don't know just maybe there'd be some sort of like bond or something and she'd be like more maternal to fanny because yeah fanny you should be like oh my god reason. my sister's kid is in trouble i have to do something but no maybe it's yeah, a product of reason. its time i maybe that's the only thing i can say about that i guess i mean is... maybe but uh, it's, it's just something that, like i never understood because i think also Same. like culturally it's a very different culture like yeah i think in our culture families like highly prioritized and you don't I, I don't think it's super common in like some cultures to just kind of cast out family members or like take in family members, but then just treat them like dirt. Um, yeah. I'm sure it happens in every culture, but I think what I'm used to is very different. Yeah, <laughs> so it's... I remember like reading about this and just being like, that's kind of strange that like the aunt is just like one aunt is, is like very like polite to her and and you know not super rude or snide or snippy and the other one is a complete opposite and it's just like you you haven't done this or like you've got to do that and essentially just treats her like the evil stepmother from cinderella treats cinderella exactly <laughs> so it's um it was very interesting to girl kind of it's that, unnecessary but... like calm yourself this is not your house okay yeah anyway but, um i don't know it was just in a way it was also kind of funny that she was like lording about the place and it's like you can pretend as much as you want but you do not own this house you will never own the house <laughs> and um i i don't know i think the way she kind of behaves towards fanny and just her behavior in general i think is very fitting for like what happens in the end so <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> maybe <end> of it. <laughs> yeah so let's talk about all uh, the main events that basically said get the get the story going uh to be honest and that would be the crawford's arrival so basically the crawford's and i will give 
Mary Crawford credit played by Hilly Atwell because I love mm-hmm. Hilly Atwell. She's amazing. I she is. Anyway. This is actually the first thing I like the first role of hers I ever saw. So I For knew real? her as Mary Crawford, yeah, well before okay. I knew her as Peggy Carter. Ah! So I remember like watching like the MC stuff and like Agent Carter and like Captain America and all of that mm-hmm. and being like, I know her, but not as Peggy Crawford. I mean Peggy Crawford. <laughs> Peggy Carter. Yeah. I knew she's amazing as Peggy it. Carter. Yeah. God damn it. She's amazing. She is. And, uh, she is. But it's like so funny because I remember when she was like when you know people were really like kind of I guess getting into like Peggy Carter as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least like I guess on screen. Um, and like I would see like stuff about her everywhere, and I was like, mm-hmm. this is kind of funny because I remember watching this movie, like yeah. not what like, when it came out, but I think maybe like a year or two after it came mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And like that was the first role of hers I'd ever seen. And then it's like watching Captain America and then like Agent Carter and all of that. It was like I don't know. T- I just thought it was kind I mean, of funny. I like, feel like that's like... a testament to her range more than anything else, to be honest. Oh my god, like, no, it really is. Um, because like now, I mean, you play you watch her play the strong, amazingly strong character in as Peggy Carter, because like, oh my god, Peggy Carter's like like, I, I love Peggy Carter and I love Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter that's a different story and while Mary Carter, uh, Carter <laughs> Mary Crawford <laughs> it's, we, the we, C's, the C's. Yeah, it's the C's the C's it's the C's okay yeah we're, we're and Mary Crawford is not weak by any means um if anything she's a woman of conviction and whether or not those convictions are good are very subjective let's just say right um because she she knows what she wants from her life she wants a comfortable life she she wants a life where she never has to worry about money and she wants to be noted in society that's what she wants and for her to be able to do that she wants to she wants to marry well she wants to marry someone with a lot with status or status sorry with status or and and wealth and someone who has a good position in society and and i will not falter for that to be honest what do you think of that I mean, I, I think, like like you said, it's really hard to falter for it because it's mm-hmm. not really, I think, it, it's difficult to say if that's something that she would have chosen regardless of whether or not the times were like that. But I think exactly. especially given the time period that the novel and the movie is set in, it's like, yeah. that's something that like women just had to do. Like mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily, they didn't, or a lot of them, the vast majority of them, they didn't. Mm-hmm. or weren't able to like find work and have an occupation and make an income i don't think the they, they were allowed kind of, like, to unfortunately i mean it's like the only way they could really, like, provide for themselves yeah, yeah exactly yeah like the only way they could provide for themselves really was like to just marry well or like mm-hmm. maybe if they were lucky have like a relation that left money to them but for women that was almost never gonna happen if they had brothers or like cousins yeah Yeah. so it's really just like you know they had to like marry well they had to secure either like a good alliance that like in which they were both happy a profitable alliance more like even like that's the key here i feel like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think like that's ultimately what the goal is but i think for some lucky women i'm sure they were able to kind of strike a balance between like happiness and like 
well, you know, making sure that let's talk about Lizzie later, okay? <laughs> um, no, not just Lizzie. I, I feel like in general, maybe that's just me, like, and and my wishful thinking. I would hope that a lot of women at that time period were able to kind of make matches in which they were both happy and able to like get some financial security or whatever. Mm. But I I don't know. I think like you said, it is really hard to fault Mary, but also I just kind of enjoyed how like kind of brutally honest she was oh yeah about certain things i like that you know... about her actually it's hard for me to fault her for being that bluntly or brutally honest with edmund and yeah because again i mean it's just like a, i think it, part of it is that it is a product of the time and because yes. women were kind of so limited in what they could do they just yes. had to make uh matches and also i i found that i always find that kind of aspect of the regency era or like any sort of era adjacent to that kind of fascinating because mm. you kind of had to be like a little bit devious and i think mary's a really yes. good example about that oh for sure dude obviously she doesn't i'm sure she doesn't want to like marry somebody solely for their money and i'm sure she would love to find somebody who, who she could like enjoy who she cares about life with. yeah exactly right but i also just kind of found it really refreshing how literally at least in the movie like the opening scene where you're introduced to her and her brother henry crawford she's literally saying for myself i have chosen the elder mr bertrand and you'll yeah. marry the julia the younger sister and it's like they're already matchmaking because their position in society has been weakened and they're, they're kind of like they kind of escaped the country to like avoid scandal and disgrace and all of that and like mm. this is kind of like their next shot at they're like out this is their some out. footing and, yeah yeah basically. so um I, I feel like characters like that normally irk me in the sense mm. where it's like you know this is clearly somebody who's like out for their own good and just to like they're doing things for themselves and it comes across sometimes kind of selfish but at least with this particular um and yeah yeah it's it's kind of hard to fault i mean it is selfish it. don't get me wrong but you kind of it but is, it's yeah, done but it's, in a way that makes you sort of sympathetic to the character if you get what i'm saying no i think so, that's fair i mean yeah. i think that's what it is at least especially I, I mean i feel like for me um it's easier to feel more sympathy for towards mary than it is to henry oh same because mary same. like henry you know if, if he doesn't get with a rich woman you know there he can have enough one night stands for the rest of his life to like have a roof over his head and food in his belly and all that sort of thing exactly but for mary like not to say that henry is that type of character uh, <laughs> he has well <laughs> but um we'll talk about that in a bit yeah yeah i think he's not like he doesn't seem like he's like hooked on the one night stand thing but Mm -hmm. um mary you know being a woman but he's not um, above it either that's the thing he's not no but like mary as a woman is in a much kind of i hate to say it but like weaker position because she can't work for an income and really the only way she can kind of provide for herself and secure any sort of future is if she marries well into money yeah exactly exactly yeah and so they're at least when they come to Mansfield Park, she's like kind of scoping out the lay of the land, so to speak. And yes. here's an opportunity for her to kind of do just that and like marry somebody who is or will be coming into money very shortly. Yep, yep, and, yep. Um, it, it's, it, I don't know, it, it's, it. I think like you said, she is, I think both of them are kind of selfish to a certain degree, but at least in Mary's case, it's hard to fault her. No, I definitely agree. And again, I'm biased because it's really happened. 
I'm yeah, sorry. That too. I'm biased because of Taylor Atwell no, because I, mean, I love her so she much. She did but... such a great job in this role, and it's um, especially I think to not to like keep harping on this because I know we said this multiple times up until now, but like yeah. this isn't. Oh, this is a very short adaptation compared yes. to some of the other ones. It's it is, again it is. about ninety minutes or so. Yeah. Um, and in ninety minutes to kind of tell the whole story and then make not all lose these characters, its charm. Yeah, exactly. That, but also like make the characters like multifaceted and nuanced and layered and all of that. It can be tough. And yes. I mean, again, not to rag on persuasion, but I feel like persuasion tried, and I personally we were not fans of that. But um, this movie. I don't they know, they truth? Somehow kind of I like... have no idea. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, anyway, no, that was um, a, a weird uh, one. My bad. My bad, guys. My bad. Um, yeah. Please continue. I. Uh, I'd rather not make that joke again. <laughs> it, it was a very weird line. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I just. I, she did such a great job in this role and I think yes. again there's a reason that Mary Crawford is both kind of she comes across as a little bit like devious and scheming but also at the same time you feel caring because yeah um no, but she has a moment thing, of like, being caring yeah. as well not not right. a lot but you can tell that yeah, she's think... not completely heartless she's not but I think like that's the thing too like clearly she's somebody who's got like different um, or like she, there, there's. She has her own interests at heart. Like she's, she's out for herself. She does. You can tell think, that much. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it's it's kind of difficult to say whether or not she would have been like this if you know the times had been different. Because I yes. feel like there are those moments where like she's kind of stepping out of like that cold-hearted persona that she projects and it's like like she says as much i think there's a, a bit where henry at one point after mariah gets married and julia goes away with her he's like i'm gonna make fanny fall in love with me and she's like fanny no like she's a really nice girl and you're not gonna break her heart and yeah like, no, 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 i know no, what I'm you're like do don't don't mess around with her kind of deal yeah, yeah it's like exactly. obviously she has these moments but again i think because this movie and, and the book too were set in the regency area where women weren't afforded a lot of freedom and couldn't really make you know any sort of living for themselves mm -hmm. um i think unfortunately she had to to put herself first and kind of be like it's it's every woman for herself like you look out for yourself first and then if you're willing and able to then you, you look out about for others. friends and family and yes but... yes yes i definitely agree with you there but uh let's talk about how in the introduction of these two characters basically stirs up the pot so to speak you know because like it's um it it's it's kind of because it, it acts as a catalyst because meeting these characters <laughs> basically you know stir it, it basically mixes stuff up because we have Edmund who's looking at Mary and he's he kind of fancies her. You have um, Henry playing both Julia and Mariah at the same time, even though Mariah is already engaged and both of them falling for this guy at the same time and being and him being happy about being able to play them, basically. It's it's kind of interesting. What do you think of that? Yeah, the really weird thing about that was Mariah like returning whatever googly eyes. Right? I mean, like you said, she's engaged and very shortly about to be married, and her fiance is in the room with her, as is her entire family. So, like, her just 
making like eyes at him however discreet um it still felt really weird because it's like again, not discreet enough uh and we'll talk about I'm... that in a bit but no yeah, i mean it's I think thinly veiled. I, I don't because really her dad know, but... catches it. Her dad is basically like he She's doesn't there at that point. I no, think. not at that point. But when when he does come back, he asks his daughter. You can be completely honest with me. If you don't want to marry this dude, it's completely okay. You just let me know. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll deal with it. Is what he says. Um, yeah. Which is really nice, actually, all things considered, yeah. you know, given the time period and what yeah. women had to deal with. And Pretty much. With, it's really nice that he was considerate enough to be like, hey, if this is not what you want, I still have, like, some power to act and free you from this. But Mariah kind of makes the, I guess... I don't even know if I want to call it like a safe decision because it's not really for her a safe decision, but she's just like, no, 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 like you're wrong. I have the highest regard for Mr. Rushworth and I'm perfectly happy and looking forward to being his wife. And it's like, are you though? Are you really? Because he's not the brightest tool in the tool shed, whatever yeah. the analogy is. No, I know what you mean. You're right. Which is, again, yeah complicated but let's continue because tom has his own ideas and mary does want to change um edmund's mind about you know taking on um a parish for a living because that's not what she wants and she's been she's been very clear about that and tom is just being tom Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, like, predictable, I guess, in the sense that as soon as, like, Lord Bertram goes to the... Uh, I think he goes to Antigua, like, yeah. Yeah, for, like, sorting out his affairs or something. And, like, the minute he's gone, Tom goes off to London and is, like, spending his money and, mm -hmm. like, betting and drinking and, like... All just, those things, yeah, yeah, enjoying life. Um, in a, if that's what I they guess, call enjoyment, but sure, dude. I think for that time, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> Given that they didn't have a lot of the things that we have today, I think mm -hmm. for him that was like entertaining and enjoyable and all of that. But like, mm -hmm. it's just very weird that he had to wait for his dad to leave because he's also old enough that I feel like if he wanted to, he could go. And probably like still do the same stuff yeah. when Lord Bertram was there. But I think the thing was that Lord Bertram, even him being at Mansfield Park, was probably too close for Tom. And so now that he's like thousands of miles away, he's probably like, mm -hmm. okay, now I can party and lift it up. But yeah, um, and I think Lord, uh, I think he had some sort of control over his son and reining him in. <laughs> Regardless of how old Tom was, I guess, weirdly yeah. enough. I think that's yeah. why he like waited until Lord Bertram left and he didn't mm -hmm. like go out right away. Um yeah. or like leave while Tom while Tom while Lord Bertram was still in Mansfield Park. Yeah. But um I don't know, I always found that was really interesting. And then also yeah. I just saw from like like a I don't even know what you call it, it's like a lifestyle point of view or whatever. I always found it really interesting that Mary decided to like settle 
on Edmund and not Tom. Um, right? Tom would have been like the absent husband. So like essentially Mary could have married him. Like in a hypothetical situation, she could have married him. And then she would have had just had the wealth. to herself. Yeah. Yeah. She would have had the money. And like Tom would be off like gambling, whatever. And then she would have a house to herself. She could entertain. She could do whatever. And I feel like they might not have loved each other, but like they would have gotten by and it would have been like one of those arrangements where it's like, yeah, we know that we're not like in love with each other or whatever, but we're still gonna like we're gonna we're gonna get married and then we're just we're gonna, gonna make the best of this like, kind of thing yeah sort of um i think but... that goes to show that mary values herself and her happiness to some extent over status and money in a way mm-hmm. in a way yeah it's, it's she's a very nuanced character when you mm. think about it um because on the one hand yeah like choosing somebody like Edmund who's the second son who might never see that wealth yep. um or who, who might not have quite the same amount that Tom would enjoy is like the firstborn heir or whatever yeah uh it, it's kind of an interesting pick but then yeah you know at the same time she's like she says outright like I'm like the I think one of her quotes is like I'm put out by your country ways or whatever mm. and she's like she knows what she wants and she knows what she likes and she's not going to stop until she gets it. So Yeah, she's I not going to compromise on that, which is kind of interesting to see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think like we said earlier, it's a little bit hard to fault her for some of the, I guess, more selfish aspects of her character. And but then also at the same time, you can kind of sympathize with her a little bit because... It's a product being, of the times, I'm guessing. That's... Yeah. Being a right about that. Period, could not yeah. have been easy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and let's talk about the play Tom wants to put up, right? Because he's just he, he he just wants to, you know, have some fun. And um basically he makes the pretext of, you know what, dad's gone. Our mother's upset about the fact that dad's gone. We gotta make her feel better. So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna put up a play. And he even involves the um, Crawfords in the play um, mm-hmm. with Mary not so subtling, uh, subtly asking Edmund to play her love interest, which is like, okay, <laughs> dude, great. I mean, she's um, got guts. <laughs> she's got guts. I, I'm not going <laughs> to... Every time a woman makes a move like this, I'm reminded of one of my absolute favorite characters who basically... <laughs> just lays it out and there's nothing you can say about it it's just like comeback of the millennium dude like i i will always admire that character for that <laughs> always always <laughs> but uh i think you know which character i'm talking about i let's, do, let's, I do. <laughs> that's for another that is for another podcast altogether if we ever get to it okay but like um yeah, so it takes guts, right? I would never be able to tell my crush, hey, I like you. Let's do something about this. You know, I would never be able to do that. And for these women to be like, hey, I like you. Are you going to do something about this or what? Like, <laughs> so like, I know. I mean, I think it's like you said, it's um about as direct as Mary could be without outright being like, hey, Edmund, like, yeah. I know we've just met or we haven't known each other very long, but I'm yeah. already planning our future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, but yeah, the, the play thing to me is always like hilarious because especially in, in the movie, Tom, when he pops up again, he comes back from London and he's like all yeah. upset because he's like, he was meant to do this play with some other friends. And then mm-hmm. um, I think he says like uh, the dowager lady or somebody died. He died yeah. and, and um, it like threw like derailed their plans, threw everything off. And he's like, the old bat couldn't have waited three days or something. And right? it's like, that was so funny. Show some respect like, for the dead, yo. I know. And he's like, if only she'd waited three days. And it's like, I don't think anybody can control when they're gonna die, Tom. But like, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, the play thing was like. It, it was both funny and then kind of embarrassing because I think the longer it drags on, the more you're like, as a viewer, you're like, oh, I know where this is going to go and it's yeah, not going to exactly. be free. And, and Tom is just like, well. yeah. like, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, father's not going to care because if it lifts our mother's spirits, then, you know, it, it, it won't have been in vain or some such nonsense. And then yep. Fanny mm-hmm. is like, um, this doesn't seem like a great idea, but you know, Mrs. Norris kind of badges her, forces her to help out. So she's like stuck helping out with like costumes and whatever else. And then, um, yeah, I don't get Mrs. Norris at, at, in the beginning. At some point, she's like, you're imposing too much on the family. And then, and then when, when Tom asks her to help, the Mrs. Norris is like, you can't say no to your cousin. Like, dude, make up your mind, bitch. Like, she's that's, I think that's exactly why she's the type of character it's so easy to like hate because yeah. there's nothing you can say that can please her. Like, it, it's like one of those things where, like, if, if it's like a race, no matter how far you run, she'll always move the finish line. Oh, and, yeah. Like, they'll never cross. That's a good analogy. Like, yeah, she'll she'll keep there. like moving it, changing it, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah i mean she she's very like condescending to fanny but then also i think she's very like snooty because there's like multiple instances where she's like i think there's a there's a line where she's like i take some comfort in the fact that i've spared my sister some expense or something and it's like lady you yeah. did it <laughs> you haven't done anything other than sit there and be like passive aggressive and make condescending comments to your niece who is your other sister's daughter and like the poor girl has done nothing to deserve that she didn't ask to be taken out of her life and i'm sure she appreciates it now but like she's literally i mean half of fanny's you... existence is playing cinderella so yeah it's i don't know but oh yeah, we'll Ms. get Norris to that is... line that you were talking about earlier because that was like the best oh my God, comeback it's my favorite. ever it's my favorite yeah. i love it <laughs> we'll talk about it again billy piper thank you um anyway um so but uh lord bertram does come back he isn't happy about the play um although he's uh, although he's not as angry as everyone thought he'd be he's just like very dismissive of that he's like we're not doing this kind of thing the funniest bit in the movie was like he walks in, he sees them all doing a play, and he looks very, like, stern and upset, and yeah. there's, like, that bit where he, like, snatches, I think, Tom's the copy, program. and he, like, throws yeah. it, yeah, or not, it's, I think it's a script, he tosses oh, yeah, into yeah. like, the fire, mm-hmm. and then later at dinner, Mr. Rushworth is busy, like, trying to explain part of it, and it's like, dude, read the room. Like this yeah. is not the time or place this dude did not want you to do the play, and the more you talk about it, the more annoyed he's gonna get. Exactly. And also during the course of rehearsal or whatever, Henry is trying to, you know, woo Mariah. 
again <laughs> like it's just really weird to see him do yeah. that and it's kind of awkward you know I think it's awkward because like they're kind of caught and then they very clumsily pass it off it's like we're reading lines or we're whatever and then, yeah. and then uh julia gets upset quits refuses to do her part and then tom has to rope fanny in and that's when mrs norris has that line about like you know your cousins have done so much for you surely even you can't say mm. no to them on this and it's like yeah. oh my god lady like let the poor girl do what she wants clearly she's not comfortable with this and yeah um, i want to talk about that a little bit because um i think this is a very interesting portrayal of um about how characters like this who have su- who have that kind of gratitude i don't know how to put this like always be grateful kind of mindset drilled into them that they make themselves small like they're afraid <laughs> to take up space um so to speak you know and i think fanny <laughs> is very much that sort of person she's afraid to take up space or ask for anything or basically you know feel like she's an imposition upon anybody and that's why she's like i don't want to stay in the spotlight i don't like this i don't want to do it and then she's kind of forced to what do you think of that because i think they i think they would have portrayed that i don't think it was deliberate showing that but i think it was also an interesting tie in what do you think of that Yeah, I mean, I think it's entirely possible. I think part of it could just be Fanny's like personality, like her not being very outgoing and preferring yeah. not to be in the spotlight, which I can totally understand. Understand, I, yeah. I like sympathize with, but then um also I I do agree with you. I think some of it is just that because she's like the poor relation that was taken in and she's kind of made to feel it. Mm-hmm. Um that you know, it, it part of like that aspect of her character may have come from just Mrs. Norris constantly like reminding her like mm-hmm. you're the poor relation the Bertram took you in you have to be grateful like you have all these things now and it's like yes and no like they took her in but i don't feel like they did anything extraordinary by taking her in i kind of feel like it should have been something that like it was their duty to do because their relations like they're yeah. you know it's her mother's sisters for crying out loud like if you can't turn to family in times of trouble then who can you turn to right. um but again that's also a nuanced argument because that's not yes. true 100% of the time but i feel like at least in this case um you know it i don't see why it was a huge deal mm. that mrs price turned to her sisters for help um and i still don't really understand why mrs norris was like Oh my god, Fanny, you're the lowest and you have to always feel this way and you have to do all these things because yeah. you're the correlation and you have to like the, like the idea that she has to be Cinderella or like a Cinderella type figure in the Bertram's lives just because they took her in never really made any sense to me. Yeah. Um but I think part of her kind of becoming small or like fading into the background is because of the way she's been treated especially i think by mm. mrs norris i think lady bertram has been a little bit better but i think because she's like again kind of like a meager woman it doesn't really seem to like there's instances i'd say where she like kind of stands up for herself or like asserts her opinion but most of the time she's kind of just there she's like sleeping or like 
just not really contributing a huge deal to yeah. the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't really like stick up for Fanny when Mrs. Mm-hmm. Norris says anything. But um, I, I think if I had to like pick one character who kind of contributed to that, I guess aspect of Sandy's character, I think it would have to be Mrs. Norris because yeah, um, Lady Bertram is a lot nicer, but again, she doesn't really do much to like help Fanny other than towards, she's until polite. towards the end. I, they, yeah, I think that's that that's for a later time. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so all of the, with all of this going on, um, let's talk about how. Mary, again, Mary is a very nuanced character, and props to Haley Atwell for portraying her that way because she did, she's done a fabulous job. Um, like she knows what she wants. She's like, and she looks at Edmund, and she like she likes Edmund, but she also understands that Edmund is not going to change his mind, and she doesn't want to change her mind about what she wants. And she's totally entitled to that, right? And this is when the whole uh, scene uh, that you talked about earlier comes into play, where uh, Henry and Mary are talking, and Henry's basically like, "I don't want to. I don't know about the sisters, but I kind of like Fanny now. I might as well do something about it." And this is when Mary's like, "Really? You like Fanny? She's nice. She's a sweet." she's a sweet girl you're you're not the kind of person to be happy with just that kind of sweetness don't do anything crazy kind of deal so let's talk about all of that and what ensues and how things get shaken up even more yeah i mean i think the the crazy thing was like the first time they meet um, like the Crawfords and Fanny meet Henry says like I mistook Fanny for a servant because she was just like in the background it's like I gave her my hat yeah. I didn't realize she was like one of the family and yeah. then it progresses to like after Mariah gets married and then goes on her honeymoon and like Julia accompanies her yeah. it's just Fanny at Mansfield Park and then Henry kind of treats it as a game and he even says like all I'm asking for is a small hole in Fanny Price's heart and it's like yeah yeah but that's a good kind of like a dick move because like Fanny she doesn't care she does not like Henry Crawford at all but like let's uh, talk about that in a little bit yeah like a more impressionable young woman could easily think like oh my god yeah yeah here's a dashing young man who's suddenly interested in me and for him especially for someone who's probably starving for attention like actually In the sense that, not that Fanny's starving for attention or affection. Exactly. Affection (laughs) is a better word for this. Like, especially for someone like Fanny, who has been treated like shit by people she considers family. For someone to be like, hey, I really like you and I think we should do something about this. Or like, you know, I really... I'm going back to a line that I shouldn't go back to because I always remember that. But here's the thing. Um, it's just that when someone says that, you a person who's been deprived of something like that for a long time may jump at it. But thankfully, Fanny's not the type to do that. Um, 
but like you said, you make a very good point that someone more impressionable than her could have fallen for this. And I really like how uh, Fanny didn't. Uh, but let's also talk about uh, the appearance of Fanny, one of Fanny's siblings, her brother. Uh, because I think that bond was very sweet because he comes after like a voyage and he he's he's really happy to see her and he's ju- they're just spending time together being idiotic siblings together which is kind of sweet so let's talk about that too yeah it was really nice to see because obviously I mean she was 10 when she came to Mansfield Park so she has I think some connection and some memories of like her younger siblings and um it was really nice to kind of see her reconnect with William uh I think he was in the navy and so obviously I'm assuming he doesn't get a ton of breaks so it was nice that he was able to make it to like Mansfield and Mm -hmm. they were able to spend some time together but the thing that kind of annoyed me about the, the like that not so much like Fanny and William was like all of a sudden Henry Crawford like after attempting to woo her and being turned down he's like okay it's on and then he keeps like pursuing fanny to the point of like william makes some offhand comment where he's like um i don't have a commission yet and sometimes i think i'll never be made lieutenant and then um henry and mary's stepfather is an admiral in the navy and so he's like all right come with me to london william and i'll get you a commission and he does it and william gets his commission and and henry disguises it as like oh fanny i did this for you i love you so much and all of that and fanny's just like you say that but like i don't i've seen you do all this before i love that (laughs) I love that because the way, I mean, in the beginning, she's really grateful to him. She's like, oh, my God, you did all of this. This was this was your doing because she's really happy for her brother. Right. She's like, good. My brother's got a good living now. That's great. And then when he's when when Henry starts talking about I did this for you, I did this so you would marry me. I'm in love with you and I want you to I want you to be my wife. I, I've been in I, I I I and he says all these sweet things which would which would be really nice if we actually meant them, to be honest. But and I think there's a specific line that he uses, are we not made for each other? And he base and and that's when something not that's when, but that but you can see how um, Fanny's demeanor really shifts. And she's like, I don't believe anything you say. You've said all these things before. I've seen you do this before and I don't believe you. And that's it. Um, it's also like there's something very suspicious about him pursuing yeah. Fanny and professing all these like deep emotions and stuff when it's like, you know, you're not going to get anything out of her like financially. Like, I hate to say it, but like, yeah she is i'm uh, maybe not destitute but she like seems like she's pretty close because she doesn't have like any expenses or inheritance like the way mariah or julia would have exactly and she's not heir to anything unfortunately solely because of her gender um and it's just like she's not she doesn't have a lot of money so there's no like if he was looking for like a cushy life or something he's not Mm -hmm. getting it from Ben. yeah exactly and so it's like highly suspicious when he keeps like pursuing her and he's like dropping like all these confessions like were we not made for each other and like (laughs) all this nonsense and it's like like what do you want from her like it can't it can't be just love when he literally used the same line on Mariah like several scenes before. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, he's he's not the type of guy it seems to like 
like commitment doesn't seem like his thing oh definitely yet. not dude definitely so, um, not right I feel like if, if no. anything he would have like he run for like, the hills yeah as soon as like any talk of like marriage or anything came about and i think in in that regard he's a, a little bit almost like willoughby from sense and sensibility right? like oh god um he would have been with uh fanny until but also a little like wickham when we talk when we'll talk about what happens yeah. next for sure um but what I'm not surprised, I'm also, while I'm not surprised by the reaction to her refusal, I am kind of angered and annoyed by it that Mr. Bertram is like, I mean, it would, he basically belittles Fanny as much as he can in that situation. And he's like, you're, based on your situation, uh, you'd be lucky to have someone half as qualified as this guy to come and propose to you what the heck are you doing kind of deal which is like <laughs> dude this is your niece you do realize that when she tells you something you're supposed to be on her side like literally like, what are you right. even saying yeah it, like that was very weird because on the one hand i kind of understand that like he was coming from like a position of like i think he was trying to say, like, I'm not going to be around forever. I can't provide for you Maybe. or for my biological We're being kids forever. I, I think that it's a little bit generous. But also, like, yeah. you know, if you ignore that one incident on the whole, he's a very understanding uncle. And um, for the most he, part. he's been, I think, politer than some other uncles might have been in that situation. Or, like, mm -hmm. you know, with a poor relation sort of yeah. under their roof. I think, they, like, I think um, th there are other novels and, and adaptations like i think jane Eyre is a good example where she's like mm. again kind of taken in like a poor relation and her like guardians are just like the like they're not great people <laughs> they're not the nicest um but i think in this case like mr bertram could have been a lot more of a dick but i think this was like the only instance that i can think of not of as him much as really a jerk as you could have been let's just say that yeah <laughs> Yeah, okay. kind of. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, no, that scene was frustrating because I, I think that's what he was trying to like, like get imply. At, he wouldn't always mm -hmm. be there. Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't come, he didn't get to that in a very good way. And and the part about him, like where he was like kind of yelling at her and being like, you could like go another thirty years without meeting a man like uh, Crawford, and it's like, yeah, but she knows what he's like, and also she's not in love with him. And anybody with eyes can see that she has a thing for Edmund, but like clearly you don't pay attention to your own kids. And like Lady Bertram, who spends probably a good portion of her life just napping, somehow managed to catch this. Oh my god, yes. And so it's like that part oh was really god. frustrating. And um he like him just yelling at her it did not sit well with me but then no. it's, it's a little hard to like stay mad at him because there's a line later where he's like i might be disappointed elsewhere but in you fanny I, like i never am or something to an extent that's like, later but i know exactly yeah, yeah exactly um so it's like okay you kind of kind yeah. of redeemed yourself not entirely off the hook but yeah so basically this is and then with william coming so basically uh, I want to talk about the whole birthday party thing that they have for Fanny. This is when the scene that you're talking about comes into play, actually, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
what she asks for is a simple picnic. She's like, you know what? I don't want anything fancy. I just want a gathering where we can, you know, just get together, have some food, have some fun. That's all I want for my birthday. And Mr. Bertrand was like, sure, okay, cool. We can do that. And this is when Mrs. Norris is like, why why are you doing this? You're supposed to not ask for all these things and like be impertinent and like I, I, the comeback that Fanny has for that is amazing. Of course, yeah, I'm I know I'm not supposed to kind of thing. It's like yep, okay, you know. Yeah, I mean it's um like it was just very um it feels like an like, offhand comment, but it's very much not, to be honest. It's not, you know? no, but I, I, what I love is, like, Lord Bertram is just like, oh, you know what, it's been a long time since I've seen Sandy dance, or, like, enjoy herself, or, like, you know, do, like, do anything for herself, so we're gonna do this thing for her. Yeah. I, one, thought was, like, again, he, he got some points back, because that was kind of sweet and nice. That was nice. But then, yeah. um, mm-hmm. the thing that always, like, made me like laugh was like like you said it was a simple thing like Fanny just said a picnic and then Lord Bertram was like you know what we don't have to make it a big thing you can just be a few people and then Mrs. Norris is acting like half of like the UK is coming to this party <laughs> and then she goes now that you're out and in, in society you must always remember whatever the occasion you must be the lowest of the low and then yeah. Fanny's like oh I, of course aunt, I shall always remember that unless of course I'm having too much fun and I love that comment because it's like she's put up with a lot of crap from Mrs. Norris and at a certain point like she's like bitch stop yeah <laughs> if I were in her position I would have snapped a long time ago I'm just uh, surprised it took her until her 18th 18th 19th birthday whatever and so also like, she didn't snap she just it was just like a a quick retort very, like, kind of yeah, thing. It was like a yeah. retort, and then it was like she had like a poker face. She was like, "Yeah, I shall never forget, unless of course I'm having too much fun to remember to do so." Right? <laughs> and I was like, "I that was I perfect. More of that. that was perfect." It was like snarky and like, yeah, I just uh, that was perfect. But, I was like, "Good job, kid. Good job." I know. You know I know. Like, it, it felt yeah. very like, um, I. I it's kind of weird to say, but like I felt proud of her for like finally mm-hmm. kind of in a small way standing up, up for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I know what you mean. So like that that part was was nice, but also I just found it really funny that standing kept like asking like, oh, since it's my birthday, can I pick what we do or whatever? And Lord Bertram was like, no, it's your day, so like you must accommodate whatever like, we say. Dude, like, you keep saying it's her it day. Then why should she accommodate? so contradictory i I mean they had a different they had like a different understanding or like a different idea what birthdays entail because like Mm -hmm. now in our time i guess it's like on your birthday whatever the birthday person says goes but now like in their time it was like it's your day so whatever everybody agrees to you have to like go along with type thing so um I just found that really interesting how different it is than like birthdays now. <laughs> Where yeah. it's like on, on your birthday, if you want something, it's your birthday, and people kind of have to like accommodate to it you. It's your day. Which is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, know, the birthday party scene was really fun and it was really sweet yeah. to kind of just see her like have fun and let loose for a little bit. Yeah. Um, in like a smaller setting than maybe that she was like more comfortable with and more like, like felt more at, at ease, home. Like with the people at yeah, ease. at home. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, and also uh, during this whole thing, you see Edmund reflecting on his relationship with Mary, and I'm using air quotes here because the relationship is applied very liberally here in the sense that they kind of like each other, but for di- with they have different goals. I'm guessing. It's weird, yeah. you know. It, it's just it is, yeah. I mean, I think like all of this happens like after Manny's birthday party. Like mm-hmm. he comes back and he's ordained, and then he all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I was in like he had gone to London for a bit, and he's like, I saw Mary, and like she was with so many like people, and like I yeah. was never able to speak with her. Or, um, I, I think he he he'd gone to London to visit Mariah and and Julia, and he saw Mary there, and he's like, he came back to Mansfield for a bit, and then he's like, I have yeah. to go back to London because I've realized that I'm in love with her, and there's no other woman I can think of, and I I want to make her my wife, and all of that, and he's like, I have to go there before it's too late, and and then um, and then this woman is like, dude, I love you. What else do you want me to tell you? Like I can't. <laughs> she doesn't say it but you can see it it's written all over her face she's like i but she's too nice to say don't go after her i'm right here i i like you she does she's not gonna say that but yeah it it really does feel like like a slow burn almost in the sense that it's like painfully slow and edmund is like so slow on the uptake he's like I like make offhand comments and be like, oh, Fanny looks really pretty. And like, they'll be making Google eyes at each other. And it's like, hello. It's like, I mean, obviously, Fanny doesn't have a ton of like room to like make a move or whatever, given yeah. all the rules and stuff and like decorum and this and that. But like, mm-hmm. Edmund could have done something. It's like, are you just yeah. going to make her wait forever? Which like... is why uh, I, okay, I'm going to make a call back to Dr. Thorne just a little bit because. I really like the fact that in Dr. Thorne that Frank is hopelessly in love with Mary. He just he's like, dude, I love this woman. She's the one I want to marry. And every time she says no, he's like, if you tell me that you don't love me, I'll go away. I will not I I won't pursue you. But if you if but if if you still love me, we're gonna deal with this. Is what he keeps saying, which I kind of like. That was that was nice to see. And that idiot of a woman, as much as I love her, she's like, I can't, I can't say that I don't love you. But what we're but but society dictates that we can't be together, kind of thing. Again, it's like frustrating, but it's kind of fun to watch too. Weirdly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Again, it's it's like a slow burn. <laughs> yeah. A painful slow burn, but mm-hmm. worth it at the end. Yeah, pretty <laughs> but, yeah, much. I mean, like Edmund all of a sudden pining and being like, I have to go to London. I have to talk to Mary. I have to make yeah. her mine. It's like, dude, read the room. This is not the person you should be telling it to. But unfortunately, he's the one who finds Danny and he's like dumping all of this on her and she just kind of has to like take it. Yeah, without telling him that she likes him and is like, what? That's crazy. Come on, bro. <laughs> but like, um, you wanna you wanna reach through the screen and just you know shake him a little bit and be like, yeah, right there. What are you even doing? What? Not the person you should tell this to. Yeah, and now basically, as the, uh, the the Bertrams are disappointed in Fanny for not accepting Crawford's offer, um, 
did I say that right? They are croppers, right? Oh my god, I keep confusing the names. Okay. <laughs> so um so they basically go to visit um Fanny's grandmother. Um yeah, Fanny's grandmother, and leave her behind to reflect or whatever. Which is when um which is when Henry comes back and does something super drastic. Yeah, Henry is uh I don't know how to say nice but yeah, he's he's not the greatest when it comes to thinking things through. And so when Sandy is staying at Mansfield Park by herself mm-hmm. and she's supposed to reflect and, and all the other Bertrams and Mrs. Norris have gone, um Henry pops up and he tries the proposal one more time and she's like no thank you i'm not interested and yep. um i don't think i'll ever be interested and then he makes an offhanded comment of like oh you may think that i don't love you but i always will and i do and then the next time we hear from him we find out that he has pulled a wickham and he has he's pulled a wickham yeah oh my god he Mariah have run away together and Mariah at this point had already married Rushworth and she left her home and her marriage and ran away with uh, Crawford which you know at the best of times even now is not the greatest thing to do because it doesn't make you look good but certainly back then it did not lend Mariah any favors or give her anything really Um, and uh that the Bertrams kind of have to like cut their vacation short and um, come back home. And Mrs. Norris is like her usual self and she's blaming Fanny like, oh, if you had accepted uh, Crawford, then none of this would have happened type thing. And it's like, hang on, it takes two to tangle. Like, exactly. Going through something from Fanny's rejection, but like, it's not all on Fanny. Or actually, it's not on Fanny at all. Like, dude. It, it was his decision to pursue a married woman, and it was that it married was, woman's decision like, to basically be like, "Okay, I'll do it." Exactly, you know? like that's the thing. It's like if if Miss Norris is going to blame anyone in the family, it has to be Mariah. It yeah. should not be Fanny because she did nothing wrong. Yeah. She knew what she wanted. She saw a guy she did not like. She said no. Her involvement with it kind of just ends there, and I don't really think it's her fault either. That you know, it's not. It's not her fault. Yeah, it's not, but Miss Norris needs to blame somebody, and it can't be uh-huh. herself, and it can't be any of the Bertrams. And Fanny's a convenient scapegoat, and she's gotten away with it for almost a decade at this point. So I think she just keeps trying and expecting to get away with it. And in this case, I don't really think that it works because it's not Fanny's fault. Yeah, and I think that's the really if there's like a silver lining or like nice thing in this situation which you know for what like for this time period there's nothing great about the situation but i think the only kind of like silver lining is that like all the bertrams are like sandy did nothing wrong and like i think this is where lord bertram says like i might be disappointed elsewhere but in you i'm not um and like that was just nice to see that they kind of understood that like this was all Crawford and Mariah and, and had think, nothing to do with Yeah, Fanny. there's more going on here because Tom has fallen ridiculously ill because he's like drunk himself to illness or whatever, pretty much. Yeah, he basically um, drank so much his like liver failed or was on the brink of failing. Yeah, exactly. 
And then uh, I think there's a scene with Mrs. Norris where she starts blaming Fanny and then Mr. Bertram's like, you know what, if you want, go to her. But I'm not dealing with this kind of thing. I think yeah, there's a scene I think there. After a bit, um, Mariah writes a letter that Mrs. Norris either intercepts or maybe it's intended for Mrs. Norris. Yeah. I can't remember. But I think she writes a letter home and Mrs. Norris like comments like, oh, you know, her letter, in her letter, she sounds so unhappy. I feel like we have to go to her. And um, Lord Bertram is like, no, like my, all I can do is like, I can offer her support and protection but further than that i can't do anything she can't come back into the house because even her own mother wouldn't allow her back in the house after yeah what, what she's done she's yeah told, yeah yeah so um and then that's when he makes the comment like if you feel you must go to her then by all means go but like she's not coming back into this house yeah. um, and um that's when mrs norris like leaves and i think i feel like i've seen this in one version of like Mansfield Park and I can't remember if it was the 1999 version or like a the earlier version. 83 version um, maybe I don't know it, I, I'm fairly certain it's not the 83 version because I saw that one um like more recently mm-hmm. and that was the first time I'd watched it but I, I want to say it's the 1999 version but I feel like I remember watching the 1999 version and not seeing this scene but I I, I feel like I've seen a scene where it was Mrs. Norris and Mariah it's like like a almost like a post-credit scene mm-hmm. and it's just them in like a little cottage being miserable together and like they don't talk there's like nothing like there's no like dialogue in that scene it's just them in a cottage and it's like raining outside and just shows the two of them looking like miserable drinking tea together <laughs> Oh god. And I don't know why, but it made me laugh because it's like, yeah, they kind of deserve that. <laughs> as mean as it is to say, well, Mrs. Norris certainly deserves that. Mariah, that's a little bit more of like a nuanced issue. That is. She did leave her marriage and her husband, which is not great. Especially after um, her dad literally asked her, Hey, if you're not gonna be happy with this, tell me, I'll deal with it for you. You know? Yeah, right. And like I think, you know, it, I always wonder if it's like if that was like one of the things that's like a product of the time where maybe like families were not as close-knit if that makes any sense like mm. I feel like now in in like the our modern society if a dad tells a daughter like hey you don't have to go through with this marriage and if you want like I can talk to your fiance for you a girl would more should be more likely to say yeah it's fine or like I'll talk to him or her and I'll break it off rather than like kind of putting on a brave face or sucking it up and be like no 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 I want to do this and like I want to go through with this or whatever because in modern society there's no real need I would assume yeah. for like a woman or anybody to kind of sub- like subject themselves to a marriage they don't want um but yeah, especially exactly. in that time I feel like it, it was a little bit harder for a woman to tell anybody and maybe even her dad like I'm not too sure about this or I don't really like this guy I'm only marrying him for the money (laughs) like that sort of thing but she couldn't tell her dad so instead Mariah was just like no 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 I'm totally happy I love this guy or I care about him or I hold him in the highest regard and I'm perfectly content Mm -hmm. and it's fairly obvious that like she looks bored out of her mind and he looks like a giddy school child (laughs) Because like, for him, it's like, I hate the jackpot. But for her, it's like, oh my God, what should I get myself into? Yeah. But she's kind of like masking all of that. But yeah, it is a little bit harder, I think, like you said, to feel as sorry for her when she had an out and she just didn't exactly. take it. And she kind of like resorted to ruining her 
her image in a, in a roundabout way kind of bring some shame on her family when it didn't need to be that way. Like if you wanted to marry Crawford, like your dad gave you an out and I don't even think he would have objected to Crawford. No, I don't, at that point, I don't think he would have. Yeah. yeah. But no, unfortunately she waited till after she got married and became Mrs. Rushworth and lived in his house for a bit and all of that and did her wife duties or whatever she's like <laughs> oh lord yeah um well that's a delicate way of putting it but sure i, mean, I know okay, what you're saying that. I, mean, I know like, i know i know what you're sense. saying it's cool it's cool dude i wasn't even thinking of like that i was thinking more along the lines of like as no, a we're, we're, we're wife, being, she would be expected to like entertain austin, like, like austin like we're yeah. good we're good we're not gonna <laughs> i wasn't <laughs> thinking of anything naughty or like <laughs> improper scandalous. no uh no, to be honest no, I was, like, thinking, like what are you saying dude I, anyway. I was just thinking like she wanted to be I know like, entertained like, being known as and, like, Mrs. Rushworth you know like yeah. being known even, I don't even think it was the Mrs. Rushworth bit I think she just wanted to be known as like a hostess and like somebody yeah. who's like fashionable and like elegant and like yeah kind of like the bell of the ball type yeah person and she had that for a bit and then all of a sudden Crawford comes up out of nowhere seemingly and he's like hello <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like <laughs> Fresh with who? <laughs> New number Yeah, kind of. That's kind of what it's like. Maybe she was the original blueprint for that. Who knows? But sorry, um, guys, we're making a lot of, of weird yeah. jokes in this one. Okay, like you're gonna have to excuse us for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, anyway. <laughs> I just meant. Mariah seemed more like the type of person who just wanted to throw parties yeah. and like, be a hostess and she uh-huh. was able to do that like those were whatever I guess what she thought being a wife entailed and yeah. she did that and then when Crawford came up she was like yeah this is not what I wanted I'm out yeah. and so they like run off together and then that it's like a huge blow to the Bertram and then Tom, of course, becoming ill and then being mm-hmm. like on the brink of death and doctors not really being sure whether he'll live or make it. Um, and it, like his condition being kind of touch and go for a bit with like yeah. another obstacle they had to overcome. And then like kind of at the tail end of all of this, like Tom appears to be on the mend. Yeah, this is when we start get. this is when we start seeing Edmund starting to catch feelings okay so it's like maybe he always had them but now he's like oh my god look at penny oh my god what's going on with me kind of deal you know it's it's silly yeah i think um, and i kind of like that mrs bertram cat catches this and he's like you know what i'm gonna help this along if i can let's just yeah, I think after Fanny's birthday party, he kind of started, like, noticing things more. Yeah. Um, but then, like, before, it, you know, before they can either, like, either of them can really act on it or do mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Um, Mary pops up. And then um, she she comes in kind of like, oh, my God, is Tom okay? Do we know anything? And, like, yeah. it, it would be such a shame if he were to die. But, you know, if he did, the, like, the the baronet or the whatever you call it like the title and and whatever 
Mm-hmm. Like his inheritance basically could not go to a more deserving guy than Edmund. And Fanny kind of is like, okay, it's nice to see you, but like none of us are being that pessimistic. So don't start. And also, yeah, I think oh we my God. know that Tom is on the mend. Yeah. Um, Mary doesn't know that yet. But yeah. um, there's also one of my other favorite lines is like um, she and Edmund are kind of like they, they meet again for the first time since his visit to London where he attempted to like propose to her and he wasn't mm-hmm. able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she's like saying all these things. She's like, you know, if your brother should die, then, you know, think, you know, you and I, we could be in a position to like do something about my brother and your sister and um they they kind of have like this back and forth and and it i think it's implied that mary knew that henry was kind of had this thing for mariah but she didn't think he would act on it and i think she said yeah much. she did but, um and he makes the line of like um i think mary says something like society like if, if you and I were to get married and if we were able to welcome Mariah and Henry back into our home, then they might regain some footing in society. And he says something like, what do I care about society? Like, my father's shame will last forever. Yeah, and, he does um, say that. That yeah. line was really cool. And then there's another line, at the, like, towards the end of their conversation where, like, um, Mary's trying to make a case for, like, hey, I still like you. You and I can still get married and have a future and all of that. And Edmund is like, no, I don't want any part of this. And he's like, he kind of realizes who she is. And he's like, I I would have rather loved you a thousand times and lost you than seen you for what you really are or something to that effect. And I thought that line was really cool because it's yeah. like, it took him long enough, but he finally did it. Well, again, uh, I as much as I agree with that statement, I can't exactly fault Mary for looking out for herself oh, no, either. I know it's a very nuanced position. I yeah, that's I think one of the really interesting things that like Benny is pretty demure, but also she's like confident in the sense i think she knows that she like edmund is it for her and it's like yeah there's nobody else to kind of like sway her or persuade her and it's just like she doesn't care like money for her yeah. is not an issue because she's been the poor relation and she's been brought up for a portion of her life mm-hmm. with like very little anyway so like the money money is not the thing that's drawing exactly. her and she's perfectly content with like what she has now or even mm-hmm. if she- you know if she were to get a little bit more i think she's okay with it but um for somebody like mary who's used to a life of luxury downgrading is not an option yeah and again for both of them it like marriage is a way to secure their future and their happiness and for fanny money doesn't matter it's just who she's with that's the thing yeah for mary who she's with doesn't matter so much as just like the money but again like we've been saying it's hard to like fault either of them for their outlook. exactly uh, yeah dude. because it's just like a, i think it's a product of the times and it just is what it is oh for, for, like, for sure for sure yeah like Fanny, it certainly deserves more but he does um, and mary deserves what, what she, she wants out of life so i can't yeah. it's like it's, again it is hard to fault her but also like it is kind of like hard not to cheer for Edmund too because it is by that no, point I kind agree. of obvious that like Mary has just done a complete 180 yeah. she thought she could get Edmund in the beginning realized she couldn't moved on to greener pastures and then as soon as there was like an inkling that he might inherit 
um, money and a fortune in the baronet or whatever. She comes back to him and is like, he could have a future. And it's like, there hasn't been a we for some time, but okay. Yeah. So, um, it, again, it, it's hard to fault either of them, but also I just love that the way that line was phrased. Like, I would have yes. rather loved you a thousand times, or I would have rather loved you and lost you a thousand times than to have seen you for what you really are or something to that oh, effect. Oh, God. So, that was a really cool line, I thought. Really cool. So, it, and also, I think by that point, Edmund was realizing that, like, he's been chasing after Mary for so long. It, it's kind of like that trope of, like, chasing after something and not realizing what you have right in front of you oh for sure that, like wait i've been chasing after this woman my for the past who knows how long and yeah there's been somebody else who's equally important to me and who makes me just as happy right under my nose so exactly and you see um you see lady bertram kind of n- l- nudge uh, Edmund in Fanny's direction and mm-hmm. trying to do what she can. Um, it's just, it, it's sweet. I mean, better late than never, I guess. You know what I'm saying? But it's just sweet. And finally, it, it's just a, it's just a sweet ending where Edmund finally admits to Fanny that he loves her and that that he wants her to be his wife and it's a sweet ending what do you think of that because of course i always go back to becoming jane in this situation because like i love the line that they have in that story because when jane's sister asks her what would you what would what what would your uh stories be about what would your will your characters be happy and Jane's simple answer is simply that they will go through some trials, uh, they will have some difficulties, but in the end, they will always be happy. And I love that. It's it's just, there's yeah, it's just a some comfort in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's totally true. And like the ending again for this is very sweet and it's um, not surprising at all, I think, if you've read the mm-hmm. book especially. But mm-hmm. it, I don't know, again, it's just very sweet and like it's a happy ending and everybody needs like a feel-good happy ending after yeah um, you know like this isn't a super deep movie in a sense it's not like there's moments where you'll be like bawling your eyes out and it's not like it's you know ultra emotional or anything like that but you know I think like you mentioned or like the quote Jane says in Becoming Jane like they all these characters have gone through their fair share of trials and tribulations but now you know like at the end for the most part they're all happy and I think Fanny especially deserves it because again she spent a large portion of her life through no fault of her own being forced to play Cinderella yes and she still turned out you know like sweet and agreeable and like polite and um all these you know wonderful things whereas you know mrs norris is the complete opposite and um i mean it's not anybody's fault that mrs norris like had certain things happen to her but she shouldn't be taking it out on fanny and oh um, definitely i always think it's a miracle that fanny didn't snap at her sooner because i feel like she she would really be testing my patience and at some point i'd just be like you know what lady bye bitch (laughs) bye (laughs) I ain't dealing with this. Yeah. <laughs> For her, I'd be like, new number, who this? Bye. 
<laughs> yeah, right. If only they had cell phones at that time and she could like block her. Yeah. <laughs> why are we making these? Why am I making these jokes today? Why? But okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, because again, these stories are basically. I, again, there's a reason why Austin's work makes you come back every single time. It's because it's because of how she analyzes human behavior. And regardless of... And of course, there are so many things that don't fit our time. But the basic idea of how humans react to certain situations and how they how how they behave is kind of it kind of feels universal and i think that's what we keep going back to uh, in these stories funnily <laughs> yeah, enough no, i think i think that, i think that's totally true and again i mean even if it weren't i think there's just something so like charming and like yes humorous and like witty about austin's writing and her work that even if this story is relatively simple for like or by modern standards mm -hmm. it's still something that like you said we keep revisiting and mm -hmm. it remains like a classic like yeah we'll still read pride and prejudice and new people are oh my god the, the pride and prejudice and... is on I, I feel like pride and prejudice is on another level like you know it's just i think it's definitely austin's more most famous work but i mean yeah. i've loved i've read almost all of her works i haven't read lady mm -hmm. season and um i have not read emma but i've read all the other ones and all the other ones that i've read i've absolutely loved mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean i think there's just something again kind of like you said earlier just magical about her writing and like the yeah. story that she crafts but it is very simple but like we've been saying it's so easy to keep revisiting over and over and over whether you yes. read her books or like you watch an adaptation like this or the prime prejudice adaptations or whatever the case may be so um yeah i mean i'm sure that like we're we'll be as big of a fan of austin now i mean as we are now <laughs> like when we're i don't know 80 yeah for sure one. dude i it, there's just like you said there's just something about even if it, like i think it is the simplicity of her writing that is magical like it's simple <laughs> simple stories but it's the will they won't they aspect the whole thing of you know it's true when people say that when you when you have a pairing you feel like writing them and writing about them falling in love in different situations over and over again it's just that weird right. feeling you know i it's... think that might like maybe that was austin's inspiration we'll never know oh my god but, um yeah i feel like i can definitely see that with some of our works because even just this like the parallels between pride and prejudice and mansfield park are like insane like i feel like there's so many uh, like nods to these characters mm -hmm. from both books yes. and um even to a certain extent like sense and sensibility too you could kind of group yeah. with, with those books and there's like little bits of like there's little bits uh, of wickham in there there's a little yeah. bits of mr collins in there too like yeah, exactly. you know so it's yeah. like it's just i, I don't know I, I think there there is a lot of similarity in, in, in stuff in her books but they're all in their own ways like unique and entertaining and yes just a pleasure to read oh so god all this to say if anybody hasn't read mansfield park please do 
read it. I it's fun. I, I thought it was a lot of fun, and it's just it's a delightful read. So yeah, it is. If you enjoy the will they won't they kind of tension, yes, definitely read it and hurt yourself even more because that's what happens with these stories. But yeah, again, <laughs> like Jane said in the end, they'll be happy. So take consolation in that. And with that, guys, we are saying goodbye to the classics. And next week, we're entering some new territory. So Cass, let's talk about what we'll be doing next week. Yeah, I don't know if it's new, new territory, but Not exactly. we have been on a bit of a superhero kick kind of lately. Sort of. Um, and we've done a lot of like Marvel stuff, but oh, DC God. is also kind of there. DC's putting out movies. And <laughs> so <laughs> next week. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. We're, we're going we're, we're gonna to deal with this. Okay. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it next week because uh-huh. um, I think we might have some words opinions to share yeah we have words we're going back to i think technically the movie that like kickstarted the dceu and Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about men of steel so yes um i'm hoping that's going to be an interesting discussion because i think we have a bit of an opinion when it comes to dc for Um, sure yeah um (laughs) Hopefully we don't offend anybody with that discussion. Hopefully you guys are able to stick around and put up with us as we ramble and muddle our way through that. But um, that's for next week. If you've made it this far through this week's episode, thank you. Yes. Say enough how much it means to us. Absolutely. Stick around and listen to us ramble. So thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. So thank you guys. We have lots of exciting things in store for you coming up. And stick around for Man of Steel next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. As always, our lovely theme song is Water Lily by the 126ers. The Nerdy Podcasts podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and you can follow us online at nerdy-podcasts.tumblr.com or at nerdypodcasts.wordpress.com.